What's up, mortals? This is Mortality Minded, where we explore life, death, and whatever's next through culture, science, personal growth, and more. I'm your host, Thomas Gaudio. Today I'm talking about Dia de Mortos and tardigrades as part of my Endpoint series, which is a mix of topics in the realm of mortality and its corollaries that I find interesting and want to explore. Dia de Mortos, which is Spanish for Day of the Dead, is a Mexican holiday honoring ancestors and celebrating death as a natural part of life that takes place every year on the first two or three days of November. In my effort to become more educated about this increasingly popular holiday, I did some research to find out why it's becoming more widely celebrated, how it works, and what inspired its start. Then I get up close and personal with tardigrades, which are microscopic eight-legged animals with a penchant for defying death by surviving under conditions that cause most other organisms to say bye-bye to life. And finally, as usual, I share my daily mantras with you afterward, so stick around for a dose of mortality-minded motivation. All right, let's get to it. Faces painted with colorful skulls. Altars covered in food, photos, and other offerings. Parades of skeletal figures dancing through streets crowded with children and adults alike. All things you can normally experience during Dia de Muertos. I've never taken part in this holiday myself, but I became aware of it a few years ago, and I've been wanting to learn more about it and participate in it especially since I attended a fascinating demonstration of a traditional Dia de Muertos ceremony in January at the Open Center in New York City, taught by Seteliz Naucampa Quetzalcoatl in Ixaquitlin, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, a group that promotes and teaches cultural, spiritual, artistic, and political ideas and practices indigenous to Mexico and other parts of the Americas. Dia de Muertos is mainly celebrated in Mexico and other Latin American countries but it's also celebrated in Los Angeles, New York City, San Antonio, and many other cities and towns around the U.S., where it's become increasingly popular during the last few years, thanks in part to Hollywood. The holiday was featured during the opening scene of Spectre, the 2015 James Bond movie, in the form of a parade in Mexico City, which interestingly didn't exist at the time of filming, but subsequently became a reality due to the popularity of the film and an opportunistic Mexican tourism department. Then, of course, there was the massive success of Coco, the 2017 animated Disney movie about a Mexican boy visiting his ancestors in the land of the dead during Dia de Muertos. So what is this celebration all about? Well, it's evolved over the years and is celebrated in different ways depending on the location, But according to traditional beliefs, the barrier between life and death opens and allows the spirits of the dead to rejoin the living during this time of year. Not in a creepy, horror movie kind of way, though. To me, it seems more like a family barbecue slash birthday party with the ghosts of your ancestors as the guests of honor. I'm not sure if people who celebrate Dia de Muertos would agree with that comparison, so I'll just say it's analogy pending for now. In the weeks before Dia de Muertos, families create ofrendas, or altars, to honor dead family members. These altars are typically overflowing with offerings, such as photos of those who've died, their favorite foods and beverages, decorated sugar skulls, paper artwork, candles, flowers, and pan de muertos, or Day of the Dead Bread. During the holiday, 
Many people wear face paint and costumes mimicking skulls, or calaveras in Espanol, and skeletons, or calacas. Women often dress as La Catrina, a female skeleton wearing a fancy dress and hat. And families gather in cemeteries at night to clean and place flowers on the graves of their loved ones, light candles, and play music, creating a festive atmosphere that simultaneously celebrates death and life. To me, it sounds like a lot of fun and a much better use of cemeteries compared with how we use them in the U.S., where we basically treat them like mournful museums filled with expensive corpse furniture. Speaking of things you might find in a museum, the roots of Dia de Muertos go back to the Aztecs, who ruled what is now central Mexico from the mid-1300s to the early 1500s, and their festival dedicated to the goddess Mictecasiwat, or Lady of the Dead, who is thought to rule over the lowest level of the underworld where the departed reside. Okay, I'm not going to lie. I had to search online to learn how to pronounce Mictecasiwat, which, if you saw how it was spelled, you know what I mean. So, if I'm mispronouncing it, it's not my fault. Blame the internet. Back to Dia de Muertos. It also draws on the customs and beliefs of Catholicism, which was, quote, introduced, unquote, to the region by the Spanish, who invaded and colonized what would become present-day Mexico and brought Aztec rule to an end in 1521. That's why Dia de Muertos now coincides with the Catholic holidays of All Saints Day on November 1st and All Souls Day on November 2nd. But Dia de Muertos is completely unrelated to Halloween, which evolved from the Celtic festival of Samhain that originated in and near what's now the United Kingdom. Though there is some overlap between the holidays, both superficially, such as people wearing skeletal costumes and the time of year it takes place, and more meaningfully through a key aspect of their origins, which both stem from the idea of the dead returning to the land of the living. Here is a good place for a reminder to Americans without Mexican or other Latin American roots. The similarities between Dia de Muertos and Halloween, and the rising popularity of Dia de Muertos, doesn't give us permission to appropriate this holiday. Authentically learning about and participating in are great, but don't just cherry-pick the things you like without any sense of or regard for their meaning and history. As in painting a colorful skull on your face on Halloween and saying, I know it's meant for like, Dia Day of the Dead or whatever, but I like the way it looks. And we're going out for tacos and tequila later anyway, which is like totally Mexican, so it's fine. No. That is bad. Don't do it. Not that many people will be going out in large droves next weekend anyway. As with Halloween parades and other events with a public element this year, Dia de Muertos will look a lot different due to restrictions on big gatherings in response to the pandemic. Many cultural institutions and other groups that typically hold Dia de Muertos celebrations aren't running physical events are scaling them back, or they're offering them online instead. Some of those events are already taking place and will continue this week in the run-up to the holiday. If you're interested in finding out more about Dia de Muertos, check out the following groups as a starting point, which I'll link to in the show notes, along with sources for the information I spoke to earlier. So the first one is the Museum of Latin American Art in Long Beach, California, which is holding a free online exhibition and festival for the holiday through November 1st. Remaining events include conversations with artists and a workshop to build a diorama. There's also the Mexican Cultural Institute of San Antonio, which is holding several virtual events in Spanish starting this week through November 2nd. And finally, Mano a Mano, Mexican Culture Without Borders, a nonprofit group in New York City, 
is planning to hold a memorial to honor the dead, including COVID-19 victims, at St. Mark's Church in downtown Manhattan from October 30th through mid-November. In other news, it turns out tardigrades are even harder to kill than originally thought. First, let's start with the basics. What the hell are tardigrades? They're minuscule yet rugged aquatic animals with eight legs found nearly everywhere on Earth, including high atop mountains, deep in oceans and rainforests, and even along the frozen, windy desert of Antarctica. They're essentially invisible to the naked eye, typically measuring a mere 0.5 to 1 millimeters in length, which is roughly the size of a period at the end of a sentence or a sharp pencil point. And though they're tiny invertebrates, tardigrades are not insects, though they are considered to be related to insects, spiders, worms, and crustaceans. Tardigrades are most commonly found in moist environments or dry habitats that are occasionally wet, such as on moss, lichen, rocks, and trees. That, in addition to their chunky appearance and the lumbering way they walk, is why they're also referred to as water bears and moss piglets, all of which gives the impression of a cute, lovable animal shrunken way down, as if evolution was in a quirky mood one day more than 500 million years ago when tardigrades first came onto the scene. But when you actually see them up close, thanks to powerful imaging technology, they look, well, nightmarish. Sure, their doe-like bodies have a fat baby quality to them, which is cute, I guess, but typically their heads are dominated by a disturbingly round, ridged mouth, and their eight legs terminate in razor-sharp claws. So, calling them water bears and moss piglets, not really cutting it for me. I think I'm going to call them alien worms or, I don't know, demon babies from now on. But I digress. Recently, scientists in India discovered a new species of tardigrade, there are about 1,300 species total, that can survive doses of ultraviolet radiation normally used to kill or neutralize viruses, bacteria, and fungi. It turned out most members of this tardigrade species manage to avoid being roasted alive because they have natural fluorescence, which causes these radiation-proof critters to absorb the harmful energy and emit a harmless blue light. So, they're not just ordinary demon babies— They're glowing demon babies. This ability is very on-brand for tardigrades, which have been shown to survive under incredibly harsh conditions, including temperatures as high as 300 plus degrees Fahrenheit and as low as negative 458 degrees Fahrenheit, pressure six times greater than at the deepest point in the ocean, extended periods without food or water, and even the vacuum and cosmic radiation of space in low Earth orbit. They're able to withstand these normally deadly situations by entering a near-death state called cryptobiosis, in which their bodies tightly contract and their metabolism effectively grinds to a halt. One of the most amazing examples of this biological resilience comes from an experiment in which a tardigrade was not only revived, but also went on to reproduce, and another rejuvenated one hatched from its egg and then also reproduced after being stored at minus 4 degrees Fahrenheit for more than 30 years. That'd be one serious nap and a whole lot of 
fill in your cultural reference of choice to catch up on. The lifespan of tardigrades that don't enter cryptobiosis is anywhere from three to 30 months. And they do have some natural predators, including crustaceans, spiders, and even other tardigrades. Yep, they can be cannibalistic, which just makes them that much more badass in my opinion. But despite their lack of immortality, while they're alive, tardigrades seem to be about as death-defying as you can get in nature. Now I want to take some time to share my daily mortality mantras with you. I developed the first one a few years ago. It goes like this. I will die, and I could become severely ill and or disabled. One or more of these state changes could happen or start happening right now, decades from now, or at any moment in between. So I will make the most of whatever time I have left while I'm still healthy and breathing. The second one is a saying in Italian from my grandmother, who died in 2019 at the age of 102. She would say it to me and other members of my family whenever we needed to hear it most. And it's something I repeated back to her over and over again, just a few hours before she died, as potential travel advice, just in case she was going somewhere. It goes like this. Ordina al tuo destino di essere bello e tale sarà. It means... Command your destiny to be beautiful, and it will be. I say both of them to myself every day, usually after the roughly 30 to 60 second ice cold shower I take each morning, shortly after getting out of bed to help wake my groggy ass up and start the day off right. I hope these matches help you as much as they help me. All right, that's a wrap for now. Join me in exploring mortality and everything that follows from it by subscribing to Mortality Minded wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find episodes and other content on mortalityminded.com. If social media is your thing, I'm at Mortality Minded on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Or if you want to kick it old school, email me through connect at mortalityminded.com. Let me know what you think of this episode and others by rating and or commenting on them. Your feedback is much appreciated and goes a long way in helping make the show better for everyone involved. You, the guests, and me alike. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, stay mortality-minded.